Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was about four years old, my dad would pick me up from my morning session of preschool, and my mom was working full-time during this season of life, and so my dad would pick me up, and he'd bring me home, feed me lunch, which was usually a slice of fried bologna with a pile of ketchup on the top. I don't know why I remember that, but pretty good lunch. And then after that, my dad would go to his at-home office to do a little work, And then I was entrusted with uh, giving myself a little bit of quiet rest time. And I was allowed to spend that quiet rest time with my best friend, Mr. Rogers. And I, every day, would hear those words, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be mine? Ah, you're so good. Yes, thank you. If you had not said that, you would have broken my heart if you did not know those words, right? Won't you be my neighbor? And I want to say to Mr. Rogers, of course I want to be your neighbor. If I want to be anybody's neighbor, I want to be your neighbor. Man, what a good guy, right? I mean, this is the whole thing. This is the whole point of the show, right? To, to demonstrate how to be a neighbor in a neighborhood. And you see this emulated in, in his show, which was also a ministry, by the way, But he would open up his home to his neighbors, his yard. He would feed them. He would care for them with a listening ear. He would get to know his neighbors, even those who had different walks of life, who had different ways of viewing the world. They were welcome in his home to have a a place of conversation and commonality. I think Mr. Rogers epitomized what it means to be a good neighbor. Well, today we are in this final sermon of our sermon series we've been walking through, which we have called Follow Me, Go and Be. And today, the final, uh, the final sermon is called Follow, fi- sorry, Follow Me, Go and Be Neighbors. And throughout this sermon series, what we've been preaching is uh, that, that Jesus is the one who leads us. He says, follow me, and as we follow him, Jesus says, Here's an opportunity to be my person. Here's an opportunity to live like my child. Here's an opportunity to speak my name. Here's an opportunity to serve. Jesus is always saying, follow me. Go and be my people. And so if you want uh, to go back, if you missed anything or if you're curious about these topics that we've looked at, you can go to this, uh, this link, uh, copperluth.org slash follow me, and we have an archive of all the sermons. And also, if you don't know, we put together a weekly podcast uh, where we sit down and, and discuss further the, the theme of the week uh, and tell more stories and, and kind of get into it from a different angle. So that's also another resource for you. But follow me, go and be neighbors. Go and be neighbors. You don't have to follow Jesus very far to actually do this one. All you got to do is go home. Just go home and then open up your eyes and notice the people around you. Notice the homes that are around you. Notice the conversations people are having. Notice the needs that people are wrestling with. Just like Jesus notices them. I mean, do you believe that Jesus is with you in your home? 
If you believe that Jesus is with you in your life and in your home, then you also need to come to grips with the reality that Jesus plans on utilizing you and your home and your family to be a mission outpost in your neighborhood for the sake of your neighbors in the name of Jesus Christ. We read three Bible passages just a minute ago. One from the Old Testament, which that's before the time of Jesus. We read one from the book of Romans, which is after the time of Jesus. And then we also read one from Jesus himself. And in all three of these readings today, from Leviticus 19, from Romans 13, and from Matthew 22, there was this common phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me briefly just explain the biblical concept of this word neighbor. It is used in the Bible in a very similar way like like we use it in the English language. I mean, if I asked you, who is your neighbor? Most, what would pop into your mind is, is most often the people who live right around you, right? right? Right within proximity of you. And that's the biblical concept as well. That's kind of the primary purpose. Yes, the people that you're in proximity of while you're living. But in the Bible, there is also a grander way that the word neighbor is used. Uh, on a large scale, the Bible speaks even as uh, about foreigners as neighbors. The Bible speaks about even our enemies as being like our neighbors. And so there is this idea that our neighbors, yes, are the people who live right next door to us, but neighbors are also people everywhere. (laughs) However, dealing with the grand scheme of things is uh, hard practically to to put into place. And so uh, today what we're going to deal with mostly is how to be a neighbor in that neighborhood sense, with the people that you live nearby, because we're going to start there today. Love your neighbor as yourself, the Bible says. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you think about it, this idea directly undoes what sin does in our lives. See, sin automatically makes us selfish people. Sin and selfishness, they go hand in hand. They just go together. Our sin makes us selfish. We are at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, and all throughout the day really out for ourselves. And some of you might be saying in your own mind, you might be saying, Pastor, but I'm not selfish. (laughs) I'm not selfish. I don't want to be selfish. I try to give generously. Okay, I'll, fair point. I do as well. But think about it like this. You know, when you're thirsty, do you get up and get yourself something to drink? When you're hungry, do you get yourself some food? When you're cold, do you put on warmer clothes? You tend to your own needs, right? Right? And some of you would say, well, that's not being selfish. That's just (laughs) the common sense, taking care of yourself. And that's fine. We could debate the point whether you're self-preservating or just uh, selfish. Either way, I would simply ask this question. Do you tend to your neighbor's needs in the same way? That's really the question. Do you tend to your neighbor's needs in the same way? 
In the lesson from Leviticus chapter 19 today, there's a whole list of prohibitions. This is the book of Leviticus. It's a a book of laws, but there are these prohibitions listed. And, And they say this, do not steal. This is a summary of Leviticus 19. Do not steal. Don't lie to one another. Don't swear by my name. Don't oppress your neighbor. Don't slander your neighbor. Instead, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're familiar with the Bible or familiar with what we call the Ten Commandments, maybe these words sound familiar. They sound a lot like the Ten Commandments, right? And that's intentional because those Ten Commandments are a great summary of the law. But all of this, what Leviticus is saying is that all of these laws can be summarized by that big phrase at the bottom, love your neighbor as yourself. Because in loving your neighbor as yourself, what it forces you to do is to be a person of honesty and integrity. It forces you to be someone who honors and does not tarnish the name of God. When you love your neighbor as yourself, the weak are tended to. Uh, Opportunities for equal justice are provided to all people. This is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, that you are motivated by genuine love for the other. That's before Jesus. These words were written long before Jesus. Well, after Jesus, in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is still putting into practice these same words. After Jesus. Romans 13, it says this, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If Paul is putting these words into practice after Jesus, these words are still applicable for us today. We should strive to not do these things. But then Paul says, in all of this and above all of this, all of these commandments and any other commandments that have to deal with relationships with people can be summarized in this one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is concerned with genuine love, he says. And that's why in verse 10, it comes right after this, but in verse 10 of Romans 13, Paul says this. I don't have it on the screen, but he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Think about that. Love of God and love of neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. And Paul gets to this truth because this is what Jesus himself proclaims. Our last lesson in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was being tested by a a, a pharisaical lawyer, a a leader in the faith, but a, a Jewish legal scholar and his gang of Pharisees. And they came up to Jesus to test him and they said, Jesus, which of the commandments is the greatest? It was common at this time for Jewish legal experts uh, to have these debates. They were always debating which of the laws of God are most important. So they would rank them from light to heavy. All right. So when these Pharisees come to Jesus, they're not really interested in his actual opinion. They're just looking for him to uh, say the wrong thing so that they can discredit him. So they ask him, which is the greatest commandment? Well, Jesus comes right back to them with the correct answer. 
the word that the Jews repeated twice every day from Deuteronomy chapter 6. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. That's how Jesus says it and Matthew records it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But then Jesus does something really interesting and he adds right on there. He says this is the greatest command, but he says the second is like it. The second is very much like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says this is the fulfillment of the whole law. Those of you who are familiar with the Ten Commandments, we oftentimes call them the two tables of the law. The two tables of the law, and depending on how you number them, at least in our tradition, the first three commandments, the first three commandments, the first table of the law, have to deal with our relationship to God. So that's the first part. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the next seven all deal with our relationships with other people. So that is love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law, the whole prophets, everything of the Old Testament is pointing to these two truths. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a simple phrase. So simple that children can repeat it back to me. So simple that you're going to walk out of this place today having it stuck in your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what does that really mean? Think about it like this. This means that Jesus loves you as he loves himself. The Bible says that God is love. In his essence, he is perfect love. Therefore, as Jesus loves you like he loves himself, he is loving you with a perfect love. A love that wants nothing in return. Jesus loves you with a sacrificial, selfless love. An unconditional, unending love. This is the love that you are loved with through Jesus Christ who gave himself up for you. On the cross, this is what Jesus offers you is forgiveness and life, the fullest sense of love. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying, look at the way that I love you and do the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, when we talk about neighbors, the biblical concept does mean essentially all people. All people, even foreigners, uh, sojourners, even our enemies, all people. Because that's who Jesus died for. Jesus died for all people. And yet Jesus also died for you personally. Jesus redeems the whole world. But Jesus has also redeemed you personally. Jesus wants to enact his kingdom on all of the earth. But Jesus also wants to enact his kingdom in you and through you into your neighborhoods. And so when we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, we're called to do both and. Yes, love all people, all of our neighbors. However, 
to live that out practically is very hard to do. So this is why we want to focus here today at the, at the end of this sermon on teaching you how to love your neighbors, the ones who live right around you, as yourselves. Love your neighbor as yourselves. So I want to focus here at the end of this sermon on just a real hyper-local level because each of you have neighbors. Some of you live in neighborhoods with houses right around you. Some of you live in apartment complexes. Uh, Some of you watching online live in major cities. (laughs) Some of you gathered here today would say, well, my my nearest neighbors live a mile or two away. Well, you don't get to get off the hook either. Every one of you have neighbors. It's just how you, you know, what your proximity is, right? Whoever's closest to you, those are your neighbors, all right? That's our definition. So who are your neighbors? Do you know them? Some of you are really good neighbors, probably better than I am. Right? Some of you are good neighbors. You, you know your neighbors well, but a lot of you might just know about your neighbors. Maybe you know their first name, what kind of car they drive, what time they leave for work or come home from work. But how well do you actually know your real neighbors? I want to give you, just, just to kind of set the stage a little bit, uh, a couple of statistics from the Barna Research Group about your American neighbors. Now, this is, this is just basic statistics, so this may or may not apply in your situation. But as you think about getting to know your neighbors, perhaps some of these things are true. I'm going to share just a couple. Nearly half of your neighbors see no value in personally attending church. Okay? Just so you're aware. That's, and that's Christian people or non-Christian people. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Whatever their religious affiliation is, half of them don't really see a point in attending church. Okay? But the second is interesting. 60% of your unchurched neighbors, and these can even be non-Christian people, 60% prayed in the last week. Okay? So prayer is still something that people are looking to. Right? So uh, feel free to offer prayer for people or offer to pray even better with them in that moment for what they're dealing with. That's a great opportunity that people are open to. The next one, 60 per, 62% of your neighbors would engage in a faith conversation if they were allowed to draw their own conclusions, but only 34% know a Christian they could talk to that is like that. Okay, so that means that people are open to discussing matters of faith, but what people's perception of Christians is, is that Christians are going to want to force them to either believe their way or, or walk away instead of just presenting the truth and letting the truth stand and letting people wrestle through it. I've got two more I want to share. This is convicting. Only 25% of unbelievers know a Christian who exhibits a personally vibrant faith. So this should force you to look in the mirror and look at at the way you live your life. Does your life look any different than the lives of the unchurched people? Or are you living a spiritually vibrant life that people take notice of and ask why it is such? And the last one is also convicting um, and this is a perception-based thing. So for us just to know that people's perception is, uh, is different of, of us than, it, than we might think. Only 9% of non-Christians have a positive perception of Christians. Okay, that's startling. 45% are neutral. That kind of means like 45% of people are just sort of like, eh, Christians, it doesn't matter, whatever. 
But 47% of non-Christian people have a negative view of Christian people. Okay, that's kind of startling. So this should call us to account and and just make us aware of the perceptions of our neighbors. That's the reason that I share this today, so that we are honest about ourselves, honest about our lives, and we can maybe better understand who our neighbors are. But better than that, I would say just get to know your real neighbors. Don't just take the statistic and be like, oh, I guess this is my neighbors. Just go and have a real conversation with them. 62% would want to. So finally, let me just give you this. I want to give you five keys to better neighboring. Some of you, again, are already doing this. Some of this is common sense, but let me just put this up here for you to digest, and this is the final point. Five keys to better neighboring. Number one, listen to God. What does this mean? It means read the scripture, see over and over again how it says love your neighbor as yourself, and pray. Here's a tip or an idea. Walk around your neighborhood on a prayer walk. Okay, that doesn't mean that you've got to walk around your neighborhood with your Bible open, praying out loud. It simply means as you're walking through your neighborhood, be in prayer, asking God to affect your mind and your heart to notice your neighbors in need and ask, you, ask, ask him to motivate you to serve them. Listen to God. The second, identify people of peace. Who are people of peace? People of, people of peace are those people whom God has placed in your community to partner with you in your collective work to make your neighborhood a better place. People of peace may or may not be Christian people, but your collective interest together is for the betterment of your community. So you can partner with non-Christian people who have the same desire to affect positive change in your community. And you do it from your Christian perspective and hope that that light shines. But identify people of peace and even better, be people of peace. The third, this is simple, gather for meals. People love to eat. There's nothing more human than eating together. You're providing a basic human need and there's natural fellowship and conversation that happens to get to know the people around you. Number four, serve tangible needs, right? The Bible says that our faith ought to be accompanied by good works. Our good works do not save us by any means, but they are a demonstration of what we've received from Jesus. And even better yet, our neighbors need us to help them. It's a good thing to do. A lot of you do this in the winter. You help shovel, you help uh, pull somebody out of the ditch. You know, you notice your neighbors in need, help them with a project. It's simple stuff. Help serve in tangible ways. And finally, talk about your faith. Talk about your faith. People need to know that your faith is integral to your identity. It's not a secondary thing. It is who you are and the way and the reason for being the the kind of person you are. When talking about your faith, here is the key, talking about your faith does not mean condemning the people around you. It does not mean pointing out others' mistakes. It simply means sharing the joy and the hope that is yours in Jesus because you are a forgiven sinner. And let that truth stand for what it is and let the Holy Spirit be at work. That's five keys to better neighboring. Now go and be dispersed into your neighborhoods. Take with you this information and love your neighbor as yourself. For as you do, you love as Jesus has loved you. Finally, last note, this wraps up our sermon series for this week. Next week, we're shifting gears in a big way. We're going back to the Old Testament. We're going to do a book study on the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. 
Some of you are saying, I did not even know that those were books of the Bible. Cool. All right? We're calling this rubble restoration. Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story of a time of rebuilding for God's people. And for us in this season, our, I believe our culture, our community, even in our church, coming out of a year of sort of devastation and rubble is in a season of rebuilding. And so we want to do that God's way. We're going to give you a reading plan starting next week uh, of how to read these books along with us. Uh, and so we're, we're going to encourage you to be in the Bible. Uh, you, you don't have to start that till after next Sunday, but if you want, go ahead and just start opening it up to Ezra and Nehemiah and begin reading that. All right.